So we are just started the book of Nehemiah, and we just covered last week, chapter 1. And we are beginning to learn about spiritual leadership. Now, most aspects of leadership are just leadership. They're part of the human nature, part of God's creation. And, and so I think that as we look at many of these things of leadership, it will apply to you in your home, at work, if you're a coach, um, and, and just many different areas of life. And, and I do believe Nehemiah is the book God gave us to understand leadership. And so as we looked last week, we saw that this is sort of a continuation of the book of Ezra. We saw Zerubbabel in those first six chapters bring a group back. And about 60 years later, Ezra brought a group back to Jerusalem. And now we're seeing about 14, 15 years after the book of Ezra closes, now Nehemiah is going to take a group back to Jerusalem. So that's about 150 years since the destruction of Jerusalem in the third deportation. Remember the very first deportation, Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a lot of people ended up going to Babylon and learned the arts and the trained and became counselors to the, the King Babylon. But we are about 100 years since the first group with Zerubbabel came to Jerusalem. And they built the temple. They did have success there, uh, at least part ways. Um, but they didn't have success building anything else. They did attempt to build the walls, but they were stopped and they, they didn't get anywhere. Probably just trying to build part of the wall that would be the east gate because it was a part of the Temple Mount area. That would be my guess, total conjecture on my part. But even that, didn't, it didn't work. And so they had a temple, but they couldn't worship. They had a city, Jerusalem, but they, they couldn't do anything with it because the raiders and the marauders would come in and anything you showed that were, you were succeeding, they would assume you had some money. So they would show up and ruffle you up and steal what you had. And so why make it look like you've improved your house uh, when they're just going to come and take whatever you did and destroy whatever you've done. So last week we saw that a competent spiritual leader, number one, has a clear recognition of the needs. Number two, the leader personally is concerned with the needs. Number three, the serious leader goes first to God with the problem. And a leader is available to meet the need himself. All four of these things we learn from Nehemiah at the beginning of laying the important foundation to being a leader and being used by God. We learned a lot about prayer. First of all, we learned prayer makes you wait. Something we all hate doing. Number two, prayer helps us clarify the vision. Number three, prayer quiets our hearts. And number four, prayer activates our faith. Why? Because when we get God's vision, we realize God has to do it. It's such a God-sized thing that man can't do it. It has to be an element of God or it won't happen. 
Go back and read the book of Acts. One of the greatest uh, statements of a commentary on Acts was 99% of the book of Acts could not be written if you did not have the power of the Holy Spirit. And the question the commentator asked in the church today, about 99% of what we could do, we could keep doing without the Holy Spirit. And I, and I do think in America, sort of like Samson, when the final thing was wrong and his hair was cut, it, it says that he did not know that the Holy Spirit had departed from him. He got up as all the other times, but he had not the strength. And I think today the church is like that. I think we have become a well-oiled machine. And I think the things that are important to us as in a Western cultured church are not even in the Bible. Buildings, not in the Bible. I, I think they're a great tool, I really do. Worship ministries, not in the New Testament. I, I think they did it. It just wasn't a major ordeal. But then we look at prayer meetings, really not interested. You, you, you want to have the smallest meeting of the week of church? It's prayer meeting. We have prayer meeting before every service, half an hour. And uh, I, I enjoy that time by myself, typically. Um, it's advertised on our website, but, but it's not important to us. But boy, that's the main thing as we read the Bible, especially looking at the, the church. It was birthed in prayer. It continued through prayer. It was led through prayer. It was the prayer meeting that the Holy Spirit said, send out Paul and Barnabas. And, um, but I, I think the, the church today, we, we, can, we can really look like we're alive without the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Well, the issues that Nehemiah, even with all his wealth and his position, it wouldn't be enough um, God had to move in the hearts of all the people in Jerusalem as well as help them have a strategy or the work of God in, against their enemies as well as to try to do a task that it was impossible with the materials. They had a bunch of black ash rocks that had been burned by the Babylonians 150 years earlier. Today we're going to learn about leadership is number one, changing a heart, our hearts, is God's speciality. Number two, praying and waiting go hand in hand. Have you ever noticed that? You, you can have a quick prayer, but even though you may have the quick prayer, it's not really God speaking to you and you speaking to God and you having time to hear from God and receive from God. And it, it takes time, doesn't it? I mean, you know, People love to have conversations. Most guys don't. It's sort of like my, my wife has to have a conversation on some of the most mundane things. I'm like, is this a conversation? She goes, yes, it's a conversation. It's like, okay, let's have the conversation. And uh, so especially guys, it, we have to have a conversation and it's gonna take a while. Number three, faith is not a, sim, a synonym for disorder or a substitute for careful planning. If God's in it, he'll do it all. That's not the way it works, is it? God created us in a process in life to partner with him 
in, in accomplishing these things. And number four, opposition are to be expected when God's will is being carried out. As my wife pointed out today, when I was on my third time and my computer crashing and having to restart all my notes once again. And uh, she was looking at my notes going, oh, that's sort of funny, I didn't get it. <laughs> I mean, she's like, it's you, Brian, that's what happened to you today. I'm like, oh yeah. Well, we're actually not gonna see this opposition until verse 10 of chapter two, which is next week, but it nevertheless is found in this chapter two. So we saw Nehemiah in chapter one, he confesses the sins and even the past sins of his forefathers. But yet he doesn't say, oh, those bunch of idiot forefathers of mine, forgive them, would you? They were all in Babylon and struggling because of their past stupidity. He says, no, it's, it's mine. I share in it somehow. I, I'm a part of it. It's our, it's our nation's sin. I wasn't alive during that time, but nevertheless, it was by the rebellious heart of my people that I've inherited this nation. I've inherited, I'm a born a Jew. I, I'm a part of whatever has happened in history. I just want to stop and, and take a moment to talk about that. As you remember back, Jeremiah said, you've been in the land 490 years and you've never given the tithe correctly. And, and, and every seventh year was mine. You were to buy faith to rest in that, but that seventh year was mine. And you took it from me by, you kept farming and working and making money when, when I didn't want that. I wanted you to give it to me. But now, seven divided into 490 comes out to 70. So 70 years, you didn't give me as a tithe and I would have blessed you in that year instead of you giving it to me and then letting me bless you for giving it to me, I'm just going to take it from you. So you're going to be out of the land for 70 years. And so that's what happened. Now, rightly, if you look at the prophecy, it shouldn't have started until the third deportation. But Daniel and Daniel 10 prayed and said, God, I'm going to ask mercy would you count it from the first deportation when I got deported rather than decades later on the third deportation starting in the 70s? And God in his mercy said, yeah, Daniel, I'll start it on the first deportation, even though I said, once you guys are completely out of the land, then I would start the clock. I'll do that. And so God, God had mercy. Why, why am I saying that? I'll tell you something, and I don't want you to freak out because of the politics of today. I just want you to think about it. I have felt for decades that we as a nation, even though we fought the Civil War to free the slaves, that the majority of the white people, so to speak, did not do rightly to those slaves. The children of Israel were slaves. And you know what God said? <laughs> all the wealth of all the Egyptians, I'm going to put in their hearts to give it to you guys as you leave. So they got paid <laughs> on the way out the door. But in essence, when the black people were freed, there was a law passed that got undone, but it was 40 acres and a, a wartime mule 
each black family was to happen. It, it did not happen. And virtually, in reality, the black man really couldn't own his own property. He definitely couldn't pick where he lived. He got work, but it was still the same slave labor at slave prices. I mean, they really were put in a situation for almost their entire existence after the Civil War of, of great oppression. And except for a few exceptions, they've lived in ghettos and they have been raised under harshness. And the black community is a harsh community. I, I don't say that from watching on TV. I actually lived in Arkansas and Texas in the couple of years after they actually did emerge the, the white and black schools. And it only had happened two years. It was, this is 19, this is in the 70s. And I actually, because I was California and new to the area, went to the black school, 80% black, 20% white. And I never even considered racism. I learned about racism, reverse racism. I learned what it was to be treated badly because of your color. And, uh, but yet, I, I, the, the grace of God was, was great and rose above that. I didn't have any ill feelings. I did understand that this culture is very different than what I was raised in. Very hard, harsh culture. And I did, as the years went by, I, 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 in reading Nehemiah, and this isn't the only place in the Bible this has happened, where they did reach back and they said, it's not just my forefather's sin, it is my sin. And we are here today in this difficult situation because of what my forefathers did that we're here now. And to get this undone, I need to repent where my forefathers didn't repent. I need to make a declaration of the wrong that we did clearly before this thing's ever going to get undone. And we're going to start building forward. Now, I know in saying this in the midst of a woke situation, which sickens me, and, and Black Lives Matters, an organization that is demonic, but I do believe Black Lives Matter. I believe all, all lives matter, and I don't mean to minimize that. But I do and have wondered for decades before any of this newest racism stuff has happened. I really did believe that there was a point in time where we really had to repent for the sins of our forefathers over what we did to the slaves and then what we did to the black man in the 1900s, in the 1920s, in the 1930s, in the 1940s, all the way up. And um, and so here, I, I just wanted to make a note of that. It's just sort of off point in one way, but really on point concerning the context of what we're talking about. Because it is interesting that Nehemiah confessed that he also shared in the sins of his forefathers and that the clog in the pipe wasn't going to go forward. 
until he did repent along with his forefathers who didn't repent and needed to repent. Let this now be sort of a national repentance that Nehemiah was having in this prayer meeting. Interesting. Just, just put it, pin it and think about it. But going on here, we also see him quoting and claiming a lot of promises of the scripture by way of reminder, 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Everything God would do for somebody else in the Bible, God will do for you today. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, we also see again that Nehemiah made himself available and, and he said, Lord, here am I. I. I am not saying pray and send somebody. Lord, I'm praying for the lost souls in, you know, Saudi Arabia. Please send some sucker missionary to go over there. Well, I, you know, I cruise around in my convertible in Southern California. Oh, great, you're going to go be a missionary? I've been praying that you'd go. You know, he's saying, God, I'm willing to go. And believe me, to go from the glories of Babylon and that very comfortable uh, society to go to a very third world country of Jerusalem at that time that was under such harsh circumstances and attack, that would have been such a difficult thing. We're going to learn in just a little bit, on top of everything, it was time of a famine. This was going on. And so the last verse we, we looked at, anyway, Nehemiah made himself, I'm here, I'm here, I'm willing, I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to labor, et cetera, et cetera, I'm yours, what do you want to do? And his last verse of, of Nehemiah 1.11, oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was the king's cupbearer. So it's interesting here. He's like, I, Lord, I, I, this is not gonna move forward without you touching the authority over me. I mean, he could have said, I'm contemplating being a runaway servant, <laughs> sneak away and, and not let uh, the king know where I'm going. He wasn't gonna do that. He's like, this has to be done right. It has to be done properly. I need permission from my authority, which I can't imagine that happening. I mean, it would, it would be truly a work, a miracle of God if he gave me permission for as long as it would take to do that to let me go. But I, I just asked for mercy. And then he sort of drops the bomb. I was the king's cupbearer. Let me tell you something. This was the guy, number one, who tasted the food to see if there was poison in it. And, and the king had to trust that he had to trust that he had to trust this guy. And, and we know from other resources that typically the cupbearer and the king became sort of pals. They had a very intimate relationship. It was somebody that became very familiar with the king and the king very familiar with him. And yes, even though he wasn't in the caste system, you know, one of the royals, so to speak, or of a noble family, yet on a very practical term, he became his buddy. And also, typically, he's somebody that had, had a, a sense of all that's going on in the world. So everything the king knew, he also knew. So he often became an advisor to the king. But the one thing the king didn't want was that guy to go away. <laughs> 
He didn't want to give him a lot of time off. That was for sure. He needed him nearby. He was a comfort to him. And so Nehemiah is praying in that chapter one, claiming the promises, waiting on the Lord. And it was four months. But, you know, I would just say to you, if it was four years, he would have waited. Or I think of Moses. He waited 40 years. It's interesting. I love reading church history. And they claim in the Welch Revival, if you've never read about the Welch Revival, it was one of the sweetest revivals. It was very short-lived. But there, the area of Welch in, in the UK was dark, dark, dark. A wicked, it had to become a very, very wicked, wicked place. And the churches basically were unattended, but there were a, a group of ladies that prayed daily for revival, and they claimed for 80 years. And when the revival came, it was clear that it was from these ladies' prayer. And I'll tell you what, as you read the, the books, you will find people that went to India or China or wherever, that there was a group of people that had labored in prayer, typically for decades before they saw a move of God. So really, when it says it was just four months, it was like, wow, the Lord really quickly answered that prayer. Four months, that's quick? Yeah, that's quick. I I know we, we typically pray on Monday and expect to see it by Tuesday morning when we wake up. And it's like, man, I prayed for like 40 minutes about this. And I woke up this morning and it's not done. Does God answer prayer or not? Let me call the pastor. Does God answer prayer? I prayed for this for 37 minutes. And, I, you know, this waiting on the Lord stuff is hard. Would I need to wait 38 minutes? Yeah, wait, waiting on the Lord is the same as walking by faith. You can't have one without the other. Because I'm not going to do it in my flesh. I'm not going to perfect in the flesh what God's going to do by his spirit. I'm not going to do it by my arm. I mean, that that was just sort of a constant theme. Remember in Deuteronomy 17, he he said, Moses, someday they're going to ask for a king. I don't want a king. They're going to ask for a king. And you tell that king not to multiply gold and silver to himself, not to multiply wives, not to multiply horses. Because in the pride of his heart, He's going to say, look what I've done. I don't need God. And, and so they were to hamstring all the horses so they couldn't be used in battle. But Solomon, Solomon foolishly had cities of horses for war. David says that don't trust in the mighty man. <laughs> don't trust in the horses. My trust is only in the Lord. Vain is the help of man. Waiting on the Lord is the same as having faith in the Lord. And for four months, he was waiting, waiting, waiting. Isaiah 28, 16 talks about this. For thus says the Lord, God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Catch that last sentence. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Hebrews 6.12, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and what else? And patience. Ah, inherited the promise. Don't, Don't be sluggish, but imitate those like Nehemiah, like Moses. All the men of God, they had to wait on the Lord. 
They needed faith, but they also needed patience before they inherited the promise. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he made everything beautiful in his time. Boy, we're going to see this tonight in a unique way. Exodus 14.13, and Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand what? Still. (laughs) And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Often that is the word of the Lord for us. Stand still be quiet, quit acting hastily, wait. Psalms 27, 14, David is trying to convince himself, I think. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. But wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalms 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. Isaiah 40, verse 31, but to those who, what? Wait on the Lord. Notice what happens. Shall renew their strength shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here's a quote I, I just made up today. Sometimes if you see a quote and there's not somebody there, it's something I either remembered and probably somebody else did say it or I, I just made it up. And, but waiting on the Lord is not a waste of time, but investing our time to gain God's strength, God's vision, and God's timing. Revelation 3, 7, I love that. He says to the angel of the church there in Philadelphia, these things says he was holy, he was true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I'll tell you what, I have been ahead of the Lord in some things and it is miserable Because you're the strength, you're the wisdom, you're the power, you're the maintainer. It's it's a you you get smashed. But when God's doing it and you're following the Lord, wow, He's the power, He's the strength, He's the maintainer. And, And we just need to walk in the Spirit and watch the Lord open doors that no man can shut and shut doors that no man can open. Isn't that where we want to be? Well, in chapter two here tonight, verse, the first three verses. So it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. What we understand is the king's role was a heavy role. Well, what did Homer and his Iliad say? Heavy upon, heavy is the head upon the one who the, king, to, who the crown lays, something like that. So he, had a, he has a heavy job. So there was times in the day when he, he didn't want to carry the burden. He just wanted it to be light and airy and happy and hey, let's have lunch. And typically that would be a four-hour ordeal. And your kids would come, your family would come, and you just sort of want to forget about everything. We, we use Netflix for that now. <laughs> and, you know, I know Chuck Smith. He, I had lunch with him many, many times. And, and I, I know that he would want to have the heavy meetings before or after. But when you went to lunch with him, you could not get serious with him or that was the last lunch you ever had with him. He wanted his food to digest in happiness. So we would talk about anything and everything but anything serious. 
And I have learned that's very, very true. I, when I have lunch and somebody was to talk serious, I can't eat. I just, you know, I just go to go bag. I'll eat later when, my, when, when things calm down. I, I can't eat when it's heavy. And, and so here I, I think it's sort of like, hey, it's happy and music's playing. And, and if there is something heavy going on, we're all just sort of forgetting about it for a while. And everybody knew their role, sort of like working at Disneyland, right? Happiest place on earth. You can't walk into Disneyland. I mean, even the guy sweeping the, the trash off the ground's happy. Hi, yay! You know? Well, in verse 2 now, Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? And there is nothing but sorrow of heart. Boom, boom, boom. Death sentence. So I became dreadfully afraid. I said to the king, may the king live forever. That's a good thing to say when your life's on the line. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lays waste and the gates are burned with fire? So we happen to notice the month of Nisan, which is in the lunar calendar, in our lunar calendar, and the lunar calendar comes up to our March or April. This is Artaxerxes Longimanus, who reigned from 465 to 425. We actually have good archaeological finding on this particular area, in this particular era. And, and we know in this here, it's the 20th year. So 465 minus 20 would make 445 BC, which is going to become very important in just a minute. Well, in verse 4, so the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. He didn't say, off with your head. <laughs> he said, what can I do? How can I help you? And I quickly prayed. I, I love this. Uh, most of the pastors that I love in history all have a sermon on this. And they call it instant in prayer. And it's that common theme of just having a constant, steadfast praying, that every reaction is a prayer. Somebody cuts you off and, and, and when you're on the road, your, your, your immediate thought is, Lord, help them. Lord, bless them. Lord, you, you brought this person who almost crashed into me for a reason, and, and they're in my view, I would have ignored them. But now that they're here, Lord, you brought them to, for me to pray. pray Lord, please work in this person's life who just was very selfish and rude and I wanted to scream at, Lord, I am just praying for them. So th this is where, again, God wants to bring us. So we just are always with this spirit of prayer. I, I love in Romans 12, 12, where Paul says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfast in prayer. When I read that, I picture a bulldog grabbing on to a chunk of meat. Jesus taught us about prayer. All things are possible. Nothing's impossible. Pray for mountains to be uprooted, removed, and cast into the sea. Steadfast. Everyone who seeks and keeps on seeking will find. Knock, keep on knocking. The door will open. Ask, keep on asking. We'll receive. Jeremiah 29, 11. Oh God, that you would have plans to give me a hope and a future. Romans 8, 28. Oh God, that you would turn all things around for good. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 to pray with our mind and then to pray when our mind's unfruitful. Just our spirit, we're praying, we're groaning, maybe speaking in tongues or you're just groaning. Matter of fact, Romans 8 tells us that, that, that words fell us and we just have to shut off our minds and just let our let the Spirit of God help us who lives in us to just pray for us. We just hear a groaning, but they're actual words. God's Spirit praying to God in, in a perfect way that we all never be able to do. In 2 Corinthians 4, 13, it says, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore we speak. Isn't, doesn't faith do that? Faith causes us to pray. And we do have the same spirit of Nehemiah. I, I realize that in studying this passage. We here at Calvary Chapel Los Alamitos do have the same faith as Nehemiah. We have the exact same faith as Paul. Guys, let me just ask you point blank without blinking. Do you believe all things are possible with God? Do you believe that there's nothing that's impossible with God? And I know that's true. It's not something, give me a time to work up. I want to believe, I want to believe, I want to believe. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We're not there. We, we really do. And, I, and so we have that same spirit. So we need to pray. I love in Psalms 81 where David just said, open your mouth wide that he might fill it. This is Nehemiah. Lord, I'm, I'm praying. This is, this is the first step of a miracle. I, I, I did something that I've never seen anybody do successively before. Everybody else is dead, ate by lions or hung from a gallows or intentionally or unintentionally. I came in intentionally. I just, all those months of fasting, all those months of praying, all those months of the burden it finally caught up and he couldn't pretend, you know, to be happy at the happiest moment in time, on the, you know, in the king's presence. He couldn't do it. And, and finally, the countenance revealed itself of the sorrow of heart. Well, in verse 25, or in verse 5, so I said to the king, if it pleases the king, nice to be polite, smart to be so that way, if your servant has found favor in your sight. I think that was true. I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. He's mentioned it in verse three, and now again in verse five, he does not say the name Jerusalem. Did you notice that? I love Jesus tells us to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. I think that the word, the name Jerusalem would have been a hot topic because the history of Jerusalem is that it's a very rebellious place. And every time they start to get prosperous in Jerusalem, they rebel and cause grief to whoever was in power over them. So he very wisely never mentions the name Jerusalem. He just says the cities of my fathers. And he, and he says, it's a disgrace. It's a humiliation that my father, my actual dad, his tomb, but then all the past Relatives of mine, the, the enemies have come in and they literally just desecrated the burial places. And, and they, they just have tried to wipe out our history. And, and there's no respect for my people and my homeland. 
Well, in verse six through eight, finishing up here, then the king said to me, not that we're gonna be done with the sermon, just we're finishing up in chapter one. Didn't wanna get your hopes up. Um, Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time, which (laughs) interesting, probably had many extensions because he finished the wall in 53 days or 52 days, right? But he ends up being there 12 years. I don't think that's what they had agreed on here. (laughs) He set him a definite time, but it ended up being quite, the queen is there. You know, as we read the book of Esther, it's not very often the queen is there. So it seems like this might have been some very special celebrity, uh, festive uh, occasion. And it lets us know that it was even more of a miracle that he, he wasn't upset about his sorrowful heart at this particular festive occasion because the queen was there. In verse seven, furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be written uh, to me for the governors of the regions beyond the river that they may must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. Asaph's a Jewish name. The Jews had a hold of uh, the forest land that he might give me timber to make beams for the gates and the citadel, which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So he had been in those four months making a plan. This is again what a leader does. He makes definite plans. People come and say, hey, Brian, we ought to, you know, do this. It's like, okay, what's in your heart? Nothing. No, you just, the church ought to do that. Well, what's your plans? Oh, no, 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 not me, not me. No, no, I just think we should do that as a church. Well, it just doesn't work that way. If you say, hey, we ought to have a church choir. Hey, great. When, when do you want me to announce it? What, what night are you going to do it? What materials are you going to use? How, how are you going to lead it? You see what I'm saying? It, it's something that, that that person needs to do. And boy, he was on it. He didn't waffle for a second. Oh, I didn't know you were going to ask me specifics. No, he had it laid out. All the way down, he had designed his own personal house that he was going to build in Jerusalem. I need wood for the gates and stuff, but I also need to build my own house Why I'm there because I'll be the governor. So he had planned and laid it out in his mind, then he rolled out the plan. Now, was this Nehemiah's plan or was it God's plan? I love what Nathan said to King David. When David said, hey, I think I'm going to build a temple, and Nathan just knee-jerk reaction was, do all that's in your heart. Of course, God came back and said no. But for everything, David was just this man after God's own heart. And and Nathan is just like, whatever you come up with in your mind, David, pretty much 99% of the time, it is the same as the mind of God. So whatever you're desiring, it's also what God's desiring. He had saw this in David, how true this is. In 1 Corinthians 2, 13, these things we also speak not in words which man wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual with spiritual, or spiritual things with spiritual things, or spiritual words with spiritual words. It literally in the Greek just says comparing spiritual to spiritual. We're walking in a way and God's spirit and our spirit are one. 
You know, we're going to be studying this coming Sunday morning again. I, I, I'm really excited. In Ephesians 4, talking about the walk in the Lord. And, and I, I've noticed here a parallel between Ezra and Nehemiah on this topic. Because in Ezra, they had the temple, but they had no life in the temple. They had no worship in the temple. The priests had all left and were doing secular things. There was no spiritual life. So in, sort of in Ezra, the, they were born again. But now in Nehemiah is sanctification. Until you have sturdy, strong walls to keep out the enemy, you can never really worship in the temple. And in Ephesians, we're, we're going to see that Man, it, it is so wonderful when the walls begin to get built and we begin to walk in sanctification, walk in holiness, walk in purity, and just the joy of that security of the walls. It's so much better to be pure than impure. It's so much better to be holy and unholy. There's peace in holiness. There's joy in holiness. When the walls are crumbling, oh no. Now, now it's easy for the enemy to, to change our ability to worship in the temple. Well, anyway, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16 says, for who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? And then it says, we have the mind of Christ. Wow, who can instruct God? Well, the, the, the rhetorical answer is nobody can instruct God. But then he says, you basically have the same mind that, that Christ has. So in a sense, is Nehemiah instructing God? <laughs> is this Nehemiah's will or God's will? I, I don't think there's a difference when we're walking in the spirit. When we have a life in the spirit, the power is there. The joy is there. The mind of Christ, the ideas. God is lead, able to lead us in every avenue, in every little sentence, in every little word. Every word we speak, Peter says, it's as the oracles of God. In Proverbs 16:1, the preparation of the heart belonged to man, but the answer is of the tongue, is from the Lord. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Do you see that? God loves the process as he loves us meditating and waiting and, and together we're conversating. I'm having this conversation with God and I don't know it, but God's having a conversation with me. He's giving me ideas and putting thoughts in my mind. I don't, are they mine or are they God's? I, they're probably a little bit of both because I'm in the spirit and God's spirit's in me. My mind and God's mind are one. And so the plans of the heart God wants us to come up with it and think it's ours. But yet, really, it's his spirit directing us in his perfect way. Nehemiah has this plan, let's say, but he knows the Lord has to intervene for any of this to come to pass. Notice how Nehemiah views himself there in Nehemiah 2.8. The king granted them to me according to the good hand of God, what? Upon me. He, he just says, God, have mercy on me. Lord, please touch the king's heart. Lord, 
And then at the end of this, he's like, God loves me. God is blessing me. God is prospering me. Man, I feel like I've got hinds feet for high places, David says in the Psalms. Remember that? I feel like Jonathan. I can go take this army of the Philistines on by myself because it's really God who's given us success or not. He did, and he won the whole battle for but him and his armor bearer won that battle. Moses, with that rod in his hand. Wow, that Red Sea opened up. Water came out of the rock. Wow. Man, I, God just, God really likes me. He doesn't just love me. He likes me. He thinks I'm special. He's just blessing everything I'm doing. Man, thank you, Lord. God's hand. Then he later, to motivate the whole crowd of people in this impossible task, in chapter 2, verse 18, he tells them, I told them, hey, this is an impossible task. I, I just walked around with my donkey. It's virtually impossible. But I told them, the hand of my God, which has been good upon me, and the king's words also that he spoke to me. And they said, let us rise and build. <laughs> and they set their hands to do the work. I have this heavenly favor from God's authority. I got an earthly favor from this king, this man. And they're like going, yeah, God's, God's with you. Whatever you're touched is blessed. Do you know God wants us to think this way? God wants us to live this way. We saw that earlier in Jeremiah 29. My thoughts towards you are not evil, but good to give you a hope and a future. John 15, 16, talking to his 12 apostles, but I think it applies to us. All the promises are yea and amen, right? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you a power in prayer. Think of this. I chose you. I like you. I love you. My hand is upon you. My spirit is in you. You are the holy of holies. You are my ambassador. You are my light in the world. You are my salt of the earth. The works that I do, you will do in even greater works than these because my spirit's gonna abide in you. You shall go. Do I have an amen? Say, I will go. Oh, no, you shall go, Brian. I like that. I'll bear fruit. Amen? If you don't say amen, this is going to take a lot longer. Let's just start to hear again. He says in John 15, 16, you, I've chosen you and appointed you, ordained you, anointed you, and you shall go. Amen. And you shall bear fruit. And your fruit shall remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, in Jesus' name, he may give to you. That's power, isn't it? This is what the Lord is doing. And this is the mindset of this leader who is a spiritual leader. Well, it's interesting that this all happens on a day that was prophesied a hundred years earlier by Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 26, called the 70 weeks of Daniel. And I am actually not going to go into this tonight because I really just want to leave it right there. I might 
do it quickly next week in the introduction and then pick up and finish chapter two. Lord, thank you for your word here tonight. And we know that Nehemiah's day was no ordinary day. It was a day that started the beginning to the very end of times, a very anointed time. But Lord, we just come before you now because we believe that you are and you're rewarded of those who diligently seek you. We believe we can ask anything in your name and it'll be done. And we need to believe in advance that we've already received it. When we pray according to your will, you hear us and we have the very thing that we ask of you. Nothing is impossible. All things are possible. Before we sing this song, let's just have two or three of you guys just pray right now for God's power and work and will to be done in our church, in our community. Our walls in our country have never been broken down like this. And it comes right to our community, it comes right to our church, comes right to the marriages in our church, comes right to the families in our church. I don't think there's one person in this church that isn't grieved over the walls broken down with their children. I know that there's a lot of Attack. We're in the last moments of the last days. And, and this is where we're at. Where we're at is where we're at. God is, is telling us, we right here, this small band of people, an impossible job, can see the miracle of Jerusalem, of Judea, of Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. God's eyes are going to and fro throughout the whole earth to find somebody whose heart is completely given and surrender and loyal to him that he can take that person and do mighty and powerful, amazing things. Let's have a few of you guys just go for it boldly, enter the throne room of grace and pray.